Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Wednesday. Keep thinking it's Tuesday. I don't know what the deal is here, but um, we'll get it together. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go right back out to the Raider Nation guest line uh, and welcome in our good friend from over uh, Channel 3 here in Las Vegas, the local NBC affiliate, Jesse Merrick. And um, Jesse... Um, ease my concerns here with the golden knights what's the deal here man or is it or is this just kind of how what their mo is is this how they have to get challenged and get you know painted into that corner before they they really start responding is this just kind of part of their mo this year yeah you know what man i i was having that same conversation with a couple people at work last night and they were all kind of asking you know what's going to happen what's going to happen the same thing they're a little worried and I just told them, like, I was like, look, this isn't even me just trying to be the optimist. I was like, I just have a gut feeling that, like, they're going to force the game seven and win that because that's just kind of, like, how they've gone and done it. You know, over the years, they haven't been great in terms of, like, closeout games at home and stuff like that. And, you know, they're obviously a good team, but then they get to the finals and or the semifinals, I mean, and that's where the kind of offense is kind of dried up. But then they always kind of seem to find a way. And I... I feel like they're going to, you know, they ended this one as a huge favorite, and obviously that doesn't really mean anything because everything's decided on the ice, but I've got a gut feeling that they're going to end up forcing Game 7 and coming back, but I think this is the team that the motivation factor, when they've got something, they can kind of put that chip on their shoulder, they're a different group, and I think after this, they're definitely going to have that because, let's be honest, if not, you know, they're going home, season's done, so I think they're that team that, that plays uh, completely different once they have something to be mad about, and I think they've got plenty to be mad about now after the last couple games, uh, or just the way the series has kind of gone as a whole, to be honest. Yeah, been a frustrating um, couple of outcomes uh, for sure, and one that they should have never dropped, um, and maybe that's kind of uh, put them in a little bit of a daze, um, you know, since then. So uh, we'll see when we're talking to Jesse Merrick. You could follow him at Jesse News Three LV. Jesse, um, it was inevitable uh, that at some point in the NFL, uh, somebody was going to come out and um, you know make the announcement that uh, that that they're gay. It's just that was inevitable. Um, it was going to happen. Who it was going to be, what team it was going to be, when it was going to be, obviously uh, no one knew. It happened on Monday. It was Carl Nassib uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, the the defensive end going into his second year uh, with the Raiders. It. It was a bit of an explosion there for, you know, uh, a, a couple of hours. But to be honest with you, um, it has it, it was okay. Great. Um, congratulations. And, you know, I'm sure it's a relief. Uh, but everyone's kind of moved on fairly quickly uh, from it. Uh, I don't feel like there's like this huge aftermath, uh, whether it's happening now or to come or anything like that. And I think that's definitely a sign uh, of progress. Uh, and that's a, a really, really good thing. Um, but are you surprised kind of how, yes, obviously it was, you know, a, a big news uh, for a little while, will continue to be big news, but not like this overwhelmingly, oh my gosh, what now kind of a, uh, kind of a situation. No, I wasn't, you know, because to be honest, like, again, it is big news. And for me, you know, when I saw the news, obviously, like, stoked for Carl that he feels comfortable enough to do that, you know, that he's in a position where, where he can do that. And then it's great. But I was like, 
and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I was like, ah, big deal. Like, because for me, I don't care either way. Like, it's none of our business, you know, if you're gay, straight, whatever, you know. And it's odd to me that, you know, we all think as athletes that, like, we need to know that about people, you know. Um, and it's where the society is at right now. But I, So I wasn't surprised that it got blown over, and I think it's a good thing that a lot of people maybe had that same reaction where they're like, hey, that's cool. We're glad that he felt comfortable enough to do it. But, you know, hey, whatever, we'll move on. You know, he's a football player. I think, obviously, this is all going to come back up again, um, you know, when they report for training camp and when he's in front of, you know, cameras and microphones again and everything. And hopefully it won't be made into this big deal because at the end of the day, it's not. He's a guy. He's a football player. Like, there's nothing different just because he came out as gay. Uh, so I, I think it is a big step for the league, though. And I'm sure, you know, as, as time goes on, more and more guys will come out. Um, and it will become more normal. Like Carl said in the video, you know, he can't wait till things like that, like a coming out video or the process of that aren't necessary. And I agree with that because I think we'll be in a much better place in society when it doesn't matter when no one cares, you know, whether someone's gay or straight or whatever it is. But I, I was, you know, pleased with the fact that it wasn't turned into this massive thing and, and blown out for the entire week because I think it, it shouldn't be, if that makes sense. I completely agree with you, and I'm continually, um, you know, inspired in a, in a good way uh, just from, and maybe this is part of it, this, this younger generation, and, and we're getting, the, the NFL gets younger by the day, the world gets younger by the day, um, our, um, you know, what we view now as, as normal um, changes and evolves uh, uh, by the day. Um, and for instance, my children, 16 and 14 years old, they have, you know, at their school, classmates, friends, family members, uh, TV shows that they watch. My kids love the show uh, Modern Family. Uh, there was a hu- there's a huge, um, you know, character, two characters uh, on that show and, 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 and plot line uh, of, a, of a gay couple. And so for them, it's like, and even on Monday, they're like, Dad, who can, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I didn't think it was a big deal either. But to hear them, a younger generation that's coming along, say it's, it's like commonplace for them, seeing it on TV in their classrooms. And for us, Jesse, we know every, whether it's colleagues, friends, family members, it's just become so much more normal than it was 10, 15 years ago that I think that that helps. Um, Where I think this becomes truly important is, you know, Carl talked about for the 15 years that he struggled with with coming out with this news and how to say it, whether to say it. Um, I think and hopefully this helps somebody behind uh, him, uh, the next person, somebody that's might be in a classroom right now or struggling, uh, whether to tell their family members or friends, the overwhelming support that he's received and the overwhelming sense of, hey, no big deal. I would hope that that's going to help somebody in the very, very near future if it hasn't already. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. One thing that kind of struck me, uh, you know, I was, I was off uh, the day that he made the announcement, but I was, you know, obviously following the news and I was watching ESPN, and I believe it was Damian Woody that said, you know, think about it. You know, after the game, everyone's with their family and their loved ones and things like that. And obviously, this is something that Carl struggled with. And, you know, it was a COVID year, so we weren't privy to seeing them interact with their family and stuff like that. But, you know, think about him maybe feeling like he has to hide, you know, who he is or not be able to, whether he has a boyfriend or not, not being able to feel like he can have them join him down there or, or really be himself like that. And that just, like, made. That really bummed me out to think, like, man, this guy's had to do that. And maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I don't know. Maybe his teams over the years just haven't cared, and, you know, it hasn't come out to the media. But um, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like a guy, 
you know, feels like he has to miss out on that. That really, that just sucks to feel like you have to kind of hide something about yourself like that. So I think, again, like you said, this will maybe help someone else to be able to feel something enough to do it. And, and it'll be that domino effect where they can take part in those moments that are so normal for so many other people. Uh, that, that, again, is, I think, where when it gets to the point where no one bats an eye when these things happen, that's when we're going to be in a much better spot as a world and everything like that. But I, I, I do uh, agree that, you know, this is a big step forward to continue that process and get us one step closer to it. But I, I'm glad that now he can, I guess, be a little bit more free in himself, if that makes sense. I know it makes all the sense in the world. And, um, you know, I think we all, every one of us deserves the opportunity to just to live life on our terms and be who we are and not have to hide anything. And I, and I, I was with you, I was, I was thinking to myself, just imagine going through the first 28 years of your life, having to suppress a big part of who yeah. you are only because you're worried about what the reaction from the outside uh, might be. It's, it's like counterintuitive to the human existence and the human ex- experience, but we've put that kind of pressure uh, on ourselves and on each other, and it shouldn't be that way. And here's hoping, uh, like you said, that this is going to uh, make it way more easier in the future to the point where it's not a big deal uh, whatsoever. Um, all right, Jesse, so we've gone through OTAs, we've gone through uh, uh, minicamp, and um, there's a little bit of an elephant in the room, it seems, to be growing with, with the Raiders. Uh, and it has to do with um, the secondary. And it was just odd to me. And I don't know if you share this, uh, this, this feeling, but it was kind of odd to me how everything sort of played out so far for Damon Arnett um, in how he yeah. was being used during practice, how he wasn't being talked about uh, by anybody uh, in, our, in our sessions with, uh, with players and coaches. What do you make of what's going on with Damon Arnett right now, the 19th overall pick last year? Yeah, no, I had the same thought to myself, Vinny, and right when you said that, I knew exactly what you were talking about, because as we're talking to these players and the staff, and again, this is the offseason, guys aren't in pads, so this is, you know, quote-unquote, fake football, but, you know, people talk, and you you can fool everyone outside, on the outside, you can't fool the players, and they're going to talk about, you know, who they think are are good players, the guys that have stood out to them, and, uh, you know, you heard me ask a couple open-ended questions to hear from guys on who's talked to them, and other media members have done the same, and there's been one name, and there's been a lot of talk about the secondary, a lot of it. There's been one name that has not come up at all in any of it unless it was thrown out there by a media member. And even then, you know, I take notes on all these press conferences, and I went back in looking at my notes again before we hop on the phone, and there is no mention in my notes of Damon Arnett, nothing. You know, the guy's name wasn't brought up. There's a lot of mention of Casey Hayward. There's a lot of mention of Nevin Lawson, Amit Robertson, you know. Hobbs, there, there's so many other people that were named, and he does seem like the odd man out. If you didn't know anything about this team and you just went through the roster and looked at the guys that were named, you'd be, you'd be able to see that clearly, that he's the guy that name wasn't thrown out there. So you do have to wonder what that means for him uh, moving forward. He's definitely got a lot to prove, and they clearly really like uh, Casey Hayward. You know, early on there was discussion of maybe him being in the slot. There's no discussion of that right now. It sounds like he's... Kind of almost not not been handed the job, but it sounds like he's going to be the guy opposite of um, uh, Trayvon uh, Mullen. Um, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. And I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And. Um, you know, we've been doing this a long time, whether, you know, it's actually playing sports or, or covering sports. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of, a couple of different ways that we can take it. And, but the way I'm taking it is they're putting them on notice. And now it's on Damon Arnett to respond um, and step it up. And, uh, and, and I think the talent is there. Um, there's no question the talent is there. 
the question is, does he want it enough to respond and fight for his job and maybe even his place on this team? Um, any gut feeling on how you think that that's going to play out? Is, is Damon Arnett going to say, all right, you know, I get it. I understand it. And um, I've got something to say about this and I'm going to show it to you when the time is right in training camp. Yeah, he seems like the type of guy, to be honest, that if you kind of light a, fighter, light a fire underneath him, I think that he'll respond. Um, you know, look back to why he went back to college. Uh, you know, I think it was Chris Carter, the Hall of Fame receiver, that told him, you're not ready for the league yet. And so he went back and, and kind of had that chip on his shoulder to try and prove, hey, no, I'm ready for it. And look, I know a lot of people, you know, got on the Raiders for reaching and everything like that. But at the end of the day, he made himself a first-round pick. He went back and did what he needed to do to convince the team that he was worthy of a first-round pick. So, I, you know, look, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm like, you know, a college football player and someone tells me I'm not ready, I'm going to be like, all right, man, I'll go back and I'll show you. And I think that's what he did. So that's why I think for him it'll be real curious to see. And at the end of the day, that's going to decide where his career goes with the Raiders. If he responds, then great. That's awesome news for the Raiders and for Raider Nation. If not, I'm sure we'll see them move on very quickly. Uh, you know, like, like we've seen them do with other draft picks because uh, they've got a lot of guys in the secondary, a lot of vested in there, and I don't think they're going to be patient with it at all. Yeah, and, you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that episode at Ohio State um, that kind of gets lost in the translation or people just f- uh, forget yeah. about it or just don't know about it. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. He was thinking about coming out, and Chris Carter and some other people uh, over at the Ohio State family said, dude, you're not ready. And sorry to tell you that and break it down to you that in that regard, uh, but those are the facts of the matter, and you got a lot to work on. And to his credit, he did. And it could be um, as simple as, look, you know, um, dealt a bunch of uh, you know uh, 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 tough obstacles to deal with with the injury, the surgery, the concussions, no off season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there was a lot that was working against um, you know uh, Damon Arnett last year. Um, and so maybe that just it, the timing just wasn't right for him, and maybe he wasn't ready to to to, to overcome all of those challenges. Here's my um, one concern, though. He's had now an entire off season. This is where it gets a little murky for me. Like he's had the off season, um, and I'm sure, much like with Henry Ruggs, they sat down um, Damon Arnett at the end of the last season and said, "This is what you need to work on. This is what we want to see when you come back." It gets that's where it gets a little murky for me. Is that first? I just wonder if he showed up with the mentality um, and the understanding and all of that that they wanted him to. And it doesn't seem like he did. And that's where I get a little bit, hmm, what's going on here with him more than anything? No, I have the same feeling as well. And I think that's where all of us in the media, the coaching staff, you know, Ron Milas, all those guys on defense, Gus Bradley, they're going to be watching to see how he comes back in, what, about four and a half, five weeks now for training camp. Um, you know, he's going to be the one where I'm sure, you know, they've got the name circled of like, we've got to see how this guy comes back. And you can do a lot in that time. And, you know, for maybe normal people, when they're trying to get in shape, it may seem like it takes forever. But these are world-class athletes. You put the work in like that, and you can come back a different type of guy. Um, you know, and I'm watching that. And also, too, again, going back to the Ohio State thing, if a guy is told that he's not ready to go to the league just yet then and then gets thrown into a year, like you mentioned, you know, the injury issues and COVID and all of that, you know, it, it, may, it may take some time for a guy who's wired like that to, to figure it out in the league because at the end of the day, this is the NFL. Like, it's hard. It's not you're going to walk in and be a superstar, but we all do obviously expect more out of a guy like that who's going to be a first-round pick. So I'm real curious to see how he comes back, and I think that's where we're going to learn a lot more about kind of 
um, you know, Damon Arnett, the, the person, the competitor, how he comes back, you know, whether it's a situation where he comes back and looks look, look like a totally different dude, or he comes back looking like a guy that thinks, hey, it was a first-round pick, this should be my job no matter what, you know, uh, that's going to be real selling. We're talking to Jesse Merrick uh, from Channel 3 here in Las Vegas. Uh, that's the local NBC, NBC affiliate. You can follow him at Jesse News uh, 3B. Okay, so uh, before I let you get out uh, of here, uh, Jesse, we've been talking about distribution of the football uh, in 2020 for the Raiders. There's a whole bunch of um, playmakers on this team, I think, or potential playmakers. Uh, I've got a couple quick questions for you on how you would approach it if you're John Gruden uh, devising this offense. Uh, I look over at Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, over with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, uh, Kareem Hunt had 198 carries last year. Nick Chubb had 190 carries. Can we see something similar? Is that a model that the Raiders might look at in regards to uh, Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs in order to get the best out of both of those players uh, in a kind of a shared role? And number two, how many targets do we feel uh, is is appropriate, needed, has to be for Henry Ruggs. He had 43 last year. Where are you on the targets for Henry Ruggs? So I'll start with the running back situation there. I think if we all know if John Gruden had his way, they would 100% do that in terms of the carries because that dude wants to run the ball. He wants to be physical. He wants it to be that fucky or chin strap type of thing. Uh, in terms of how realistic it is, I don't know. I, I, I got to see a little bit more out of Kenyon Drake in terms of being that down-in, down-out type of guy that they can use to, uh, similar to what they do in Cleveland there. So I'll be real curious to see, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it somewhere along those lines, and maybe those attempts are also kind of lumped in with the receptions or you know looks for him in the receiving game because I think that's, again, how they're going to want to use him more. And I, I do think that we'll see both of them on the field a decent chunk of the time because I think we're going to see Drake kind of line up in that receiver-slash-running back type of almost – maybe more like an H-back type of guy. Uh, but I think he'll be on the field a ton. Uh, in terms of the receiving thing with Ruggs, yeah, 43 ain't going to cut it. I mean, Gruden said, you know, he doesn't want Ruggs to just be a threat. He wants him to be on the receiving end of those threats. So I think if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, if you're Ah, I think we've lost uh, Jesse Merrick. But I think what he was saying was, <coughs> excuse me right there, uh, John Gruden, you, you're, maybe you're trying to speak it into existence, but those 43, if you, if you want Henry Ruggs to be more than just um, kind of a, uh, a, a player that can take attention away from other players just by his mere presence, you want him to be more than that. Um, it's on you to call his number and figure out ways to get him the ball, and it's on Derek Carr, obviously, to send him the, or to throw him the ball or hand it off. But I think, uh, like Jesse said, that's not going to cut it. 43 targets is not going to cut it. Uh, it needs to be in the uh, 80 or so uh, range. So we'll see. I think it's going to get close to that if Henry stays healthy. And uh, it'll be really exciting to me and fascinating to me to see what Henry Ruggs does with 80 or so targets Um and, uh, and, and I think it's going to change the dynamic of the Raiders' offense. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM.
What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Wednesday, right? Wednesday, not Tuesday, Vinny. Come on. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, our thanks again to uh, to Jesse Merrick, uh, who uh, joined us in the huddle. And uh, as I uh, was mentioning before we went to break um, with him, um, Henry Ruggs, a healthy Henry Ruggs, there's no way that he should only get 43 uh, targets uh, next year, uh, this season. And I don't think he will. I think he's going to be in that 80-ish range, um, and I think they're going to make it a point to get him uh, the ball. I do remember that that first game against Carolina, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, he had like a 30-yard catch, I think it was, or, or maybe a little bit longer than that. I'll go, I'll go check on that. Um, but he got hurt. Unfortunately, first game of the season, first game of your rookie season, uh, and that set him back. It took a while for him to uh, get back rolling. And even when he did come back, you can tell that he was not quite Henry Ruggs. Um, And it wasn't until uh, a a little, a few weeks later where in practice, I was watching him move around. And that's one of the things I love about practice, being able to, uh, you know, just watch guys and how they're moving and, and, you can tell at this level when guys are right and when guys are not quite so right. Uh, it's that fine of a line. Uh, but he he looked toward, you know, it was the middle of the season and it looked like he was starting to get that that uh, that setback uh, that he needs. Um, but unfortunately, you know, uh, as some players do, uh, he dealt with some things uh, in his rookie year. And I think that that contributed to the 43 uh, targets that he had. But I think that a full throttle Henry Ruggs, uh, and he looked um, to be just in tremendous shape. Uh, he looked bigger and stronger. All the things that you naturally do going from, you know, what, 21 years old to 22 years old and 23, 24. Go look at pictures of Kobe Bryant when he was 21 or Michael Jordan uh, or, or anybody for that matter. And then look at him at 25, 26. And you're like, oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we kind of forget about all that because we're watching it in real time. It's not until you kind of go back and look at the timeline over the years and see how players mature and how their bodies uh, mature. And remember, and I've talked about this so many times, you know, when you get on that 24-7 football program where you're eating what you're supposed to be eating, you're following instructions, you've got team nutritionists, some of these players uh, hire kind of cooks or get on an eating plan. Obviously, there's the workout, uh, whether you're in the facility or so many of these guys, Henry Ruggs included, uh, invest in themselves in making sure that their bodies are where it needs to be because you can, you have money, you have all the time in in the world to do this. This is your full-time job and the guys that take it seriously make the most of it. Not everybody does, um, unfortunately. And, you know, some guys just get complacent when they get the big contract, when they get the contract, um, some guys do. That's just a reality of the situation. We're not all wired the same. It doesn't make them bad people or anything like that. It just doesn't. It, it, it's what separates literally the great ones from the okay ones. That work ethic, that care, that dedication, uh, that passion um, to want to be the best. And you see the ones that want to. What did Derek Carr say about Henry Ruggs? It's like something clicked. And he, and he made sure, like, you know, Vinny, I don't mean that in a way like, you know, um, but like it wasn't clicking. It's just that when you get that first year under your belt, now you have something, you have a reference point, okay? You have a body of work to look back at. You have a year of experience to look back at. And what Derek Carr said to me is you realize, ah, this is what it takes. This is how you have to be at this level. 
And he said the good ones understand it and apply it. Some don't. And based on what Derek has seen from uh, Henry Ruggs thus far, and he's seen him plenty over these last two months, he's one of the dudes, as Derek put it to me, that said, nah, man, I'm going to be one of the ones that do do it. And, um, and so to me, he's put the work in. It's obvious just looking at him. Derek, uh, you know, has had a up close look at him way more than we in the media have. So he's seen him in the weight room. He's seen him on the field. He's seen him in the portions of practice that we haven't been privy to. Uh, he knows what he's doing in the classroom uh, and in the meetings. So, and that all plays into it. It's not just the physical aspects, although that is hugely, hugely important. And as Derek was telling me, you know, look, this is a guy now that's getting in out of his cuts violently. Um, he's running strong and confident. Um, so I'm fascinated to see where Henry Ruggs goes with this. And I think it's a pivotal, it will be a pivotal part of where this offense goes. I think this offense has a chance to, um, you know, be even better. Maybe better isn't the the uh, the right word. I think it has a chance to be different. And I think it has a chance to be more efficient. And I think that's what the Raiders have been striving for. Listen, you know, um, you, you know, we're all there pointing out, hey, the touchdown ratio in the uh, red zone last year was 54.4. Uh, I think that's what it was. Somewhere around there. Bottom line, it was 23rd in the NFL. It's not where it needs to be. If we're pointing it out, don't you think they don't? They understand that as well. Um, and remember, we had Foster Moreau uh, on on the show a while back, and what was he talking about? You know, the 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 diligence and the the painstaking focus that they're putting on getting better in areas that they weren't so good in last year. The Raiders were good in a lot of areas offensively. It's indisputable. Their touchdowns from 20 or more yards more than doubled. They were more efficient overall in the red zone last year. Yes, unfortunately, some of that was the result of kicking you know, uh, uh, field goals rather than touchdowns. But the point is, they were better in that side of the field compared to 2019. Remember, in 2019, they'd get down there and they'd turn the ball over on downs because they couldn't get uh, that, that, that last yard that they needed to, to get a new set of downs or score the touchdown. Remember, they turned the ball over uh, in the red zone too many times. Remember, sometimes you get to the red zone, but a penalty sets you back from the red zone. But all of those count in regards to the efficiency numbers uh, that, that, that get calculated. In 2020... They were much better in the red zone, efficiency-wise, scoring-wise, than they were in 2019. What they want to do now is make sure that more of those visits to the red zone turn into touchdowns rather than um, field goals, obviously. But you can't discount the fact that this is a team that scored seven more points in 2020 than they did in 2019. The offensive operation was simply better. And to me, when you look at it, honestly... It was done with an offensive line uh, that was injured far too often last year. Unfortunately, they didn't. They only got four snaps from their projected starters. It wasn't the best unit, as it turns out, in run blocking. It wasn't one of the best units, as it turns out, in pass blocking. The Raiders had to overcome a lot of things that were going wrong on that offensive line. They were competent. They were capable. But remember, this was an offensive line last year going into the season that many people had pegged as the best offensive line in the NFL. Well, 
unfortunately, when you only get two games uh, from Richie Incognito and four games from Trent Brown, that's your starting left guard and your starting right tackle, that's going to change things. But it's why I always say, you know, Alex Leatherwood isn't replacing Trent Brown. He's replacing Sam Young for crying out loud. And and at times Denzel Good, who played a little bit of right tackle last year. That's really who he's replacing. And if you look at it from that perspective, it has a chance to be not just an upgrade, but a major upgrade. And just in terms of availability over Trent Brown, him being out there compared to the other guy who wasn't out there, not on a consistent basis anyway, that's just an upgrade. So theoretically, that right tackle position is going to be in far better hands this year than it was in last year. Now, what is Andre James uh, able to give you at center? I mean, unless, you know, John Gruden and unless Tom Cable have completely misread the room on Andre James... There's a belief in him. There's a conviction in him. He's shown them enough. And these guys have been to it a long, long time. He's shown them enough behind the scenes for them to believe that he's going to be just fine at center. Is he going to be Rodney Hudson? I mean, come on. That's a tall order to expect him to be Rodney Hudson. But can he be a very good player for them? Absolutely. At a fraction of the cost? Well, just look at the numbers. Allowing the Raiders to be able to uh, go address some other needs? Yeah. Obviously, uh, Gabe Jackson, um, that's that's trading Gabe Jackson is a loss that they're going to have to make up for. But you don't think that they saw enough in Denzel Good, maybe even John Simpson, to understand that they'll be okay um, in that regard, especially now with Richie Incognito uh, healthy uh, over on the left side. So they feel like, hey, this offensive line um, – has a chance to be better than last year's offensive line overall in the numbers, in the efficiency. Um, but again, that offense, there there was a light, a lot to like about that offense. And that's a good thing. And it's 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 you're in an okay spot where, hey, what do we need to do to get even better? Well, just need to score some more touchdowns in the red zone. That's one thing. And a lot of that is play calling execution. There's all sorts of uh, factors that play into it, but it's also, you know, being able to, to add new wrinkles to it, add new pieces to it. And I've, I've mentioned this quite a few times. I think a Foster Moreau can help make a difference uh, in the red zone. I was talking about, and, and you know, uh, that one day in OTAs where a good 15 minute period uh, was devoted to a red zone offense, which was strictly exclusively run out of 23 personnel, two running backs. Well, actually one running back and a fullback uh, in Alec Ingold and three tight ends. It was a big physical looking offensive setup. But what was interesting about that was that they did so many different things <laughs> from that 23 uh, personnel uh, grouping. Every tight end caught a touchdown pass. Every running back touched it or caught it. Um, there were all types of variations of what they were running screens. They were doing sweeps. They were throwing it to the fullback uh, on a uh, look one way, turn around and find the open uh, uh, fullback uh, over in the corner of the end zone. There was so much creativity from that one group, that one personnel uh, group um, that, you understand just watching that okay you know there's there's some new things that john gruden wants to do in that area um and 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 how he's going to play and let alone 
the fact that you can run out of that. You've got three tight ends in there. Foster Moreau is emerging as a as a good blocking tight end. I think Darren Waller gives plenty of effort in terms of the run game. And Derek Carrier, uh, the third tight end, is 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 a noted uh, kind of a hard nose blocking kind of a tight end. So you could also run it uh, in that situation, let alone throw it. So it's going to be interesting. And I think the pieces are in place for this to be. And what do we say? Maybe not overall better offense but maybe a different offense and maybe a more efficient offense and maybe that does end up making them better i'm like uh circling all over the place but every time i complete the circle it gets back to the point where i think this raider offense can be better um what do you guys think let me know uh give me a call 702-365-9200 as we wrap up a wednesday here on in the huddle uh brought to you by tequila and Bahar. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. Man, Damon, it got down to, what, 90 degrees today? It was, I needed a jacket for crying out loud. It was beautiful uh, out there today. It's Las Vegas is one of the few places um, that I know of, anyway, uh, that I've been to, where, you know, you get to 95, 98 degrees after a slew of 116, 118s, and it feels darn right beautiful like it's like it's it's like you need a jacket almost when it gets down uh to 95 degrees after 114 116 so uh, i'm getting used to it i'm definitely getting used to it um big night in the nba uh tonight uh who do you like in the milwaukee bucks against the atlanta hawks i think both teams are i like where the Hawks are mentally right now. Uh, I really feel like they're playing like a team. Um, they've met obviously a bunch of challenges, uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see if they've got what it takes to uh, take down the Milwaukee Bucks, who probably have. Do they have the best player left in the tournament? Um, they do. They have the best yeah, player in the playoffs. I, I so that's think so. You like the the Hawks mindset or where they are, where they are mentally because they've been winning, but they haven't played a team that's just got a player that can just dominate because it's like when you look at the Hawks maybe you have John Collins Clint Capella but I still don't think that they're going to be enough to stop Giannis this is the best player that they like the first round what are you going up against Derrick Rose oh Julius Randle was nothing last round okay Joel Embiid on the bad meniscus and Ben Simmons no show right but I don't think Giannis is just gonna I don't think he's gonna no show or you don't have the caveat of he's injured that's gonna be able to like help the Hawks a little bit and I think this Milwaukee team, um, you know, they've got some scars uh, from some past playoff experiences that I think will serve them well. Um, you know, they they they've they've been through it, and sometimes you ha- sometimes you have to go through the misery uh, before you can um, claim uh, the greatness. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think Giannis is the best player left in this tournament. Uh, I think the best team right now left in the tournament to me, are the uh, Suns. Um, I, I really like the way they're playing. I love Monty Williams. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Monty Williams uh, going all the way back to when he played at Notre Dame. Um, and, uh, you know, he was kind of a Pat Riley sort of a disciple there for a little while and, you know, did some nice things when he was in New Orleans. Um, 
you know, feel just horrible about the tragedy uh, that, that, that he suffered through. Uh, I'm just so happy for him uh, that he's gotten onto the other side of that and landed in a great spot in Phoenix. Uh, I think he and Chris Paul are just lock and step. And imagine the confidence of the Phoenix Suns to have done what they did uh, against the Clippers. No doubt it was a miraculous win last night, but it was a beautifully drawn up play uh, by Monty Williams, a beautifully executed play uh, by the Phoenix Suns. That's what you have to do in those situations. It's what, it's what um, you know, uh, Paul George and the Clippers didn't do. They should have won that game, but you got to hit your free throws. It's the most basic part of the game. Even one would have meant that the alley-oop um, inbound pl- p- uh, pass to, uh, uh, would have only been, would have only tied the game up. So that loss is on Paul George to me. Um, you got to hit your free throws in that situation. You know who the win should be more about though, Vinny? Who's that? Cameron Payne. Well, I love, I love where Cameron Payne is. Uh, he definitely, I love where he's from. Leg. You know where he's from, right? Um, Give me a give me a letter to start because I remember I remember looking. You're not going to guess it because you're always trashing this place because you don't respect Memphis. He's from Memphis. Where but where did he go to college? He didn't go to college in Tennessee. He went to Murray State and he Murray State recruits Kentucky. a lot of Memphis kids. Yeah, he went to yeah Murray State in Kentucky. Really uh, happy for him. Um, I didn't know too much about him, but obviously watching him against the uh, the Lakers, uh, he was locked in. And um, and stuck it to the Lakers, and so I, I'm happy. I'm happy for the Suns. You know, as a as somebody who cover, as somebody who worked for the Lakers, as somebody who covered the Lakers uh, for many many years, uh, the Phoenix Suns have always been. You know, they've th- there's been some down years of late, but if you go back to the Kevin Johnson, Rick Marley. Um, you know, Charles Barkley, I could go even further back to the Dennis Johnson, Paul Westfall uh, days uh, through the and, and in the 80s. The Phoenix Suns have always been a nice organization uh, and they've pushed the Lakers. You, you, when you ever look at the Western Conference, you, you, you just have to look at it as who's really ever come along to push the Lakers. I, yeah, you know, the Warriors had their nice little run um, without a doubt, but Prior to that, they were like everybody else in the West. Actually, less than that. They were one of the worst-run organizations in in, in basketball. Uh, but when you look at the Lakers over their years in Los Angeles, and especially since you know the the seventies or so, mid seventies, you looked at the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you looked at the the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston Rockets uh, had had a couple of uh, um, you know they, they pushed the Lakers over the years, beat them a couple of times, even in the Lakers' heyday with Akeem Olajuwon and and, and Sa- Samson. Before that, Moses Malone in Magic's second year. So there's 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 teams in the Western Conference. Even Denver, from time to time, has stepped up a little bit. And I go back all the way to the Kiki Vandeweghe, uh, Dan Issel, um, you know. Uh, uh, um, uh, Denver Denver Nuggets teams. The one team that hasn't, and this is, you think about this, Devon, the Clippers have never played the Lakers in the playoffs, ever. I was wondering where you were going with this. At first, I was like, oh, geez, he's talking about the Lakers again. It's, but ne- it's, a, it's, a, it's almost impossible. The amount of times that the Lakers have been in the playoffs, it's impossible. It's almost impossible for any team in the Western Conference to have avoided them <laughs> throughout their entire existence. And the one team is the Clippers. The Lakers have had great playoff series against the Seattle Seahawks or Seattle um, Supersonics, who are now obviously the Oklahoma City Thunder. Memphis is one, uh, but you know how long is they, have they really been around? Uh, Memphis and slash. 
Vancouver. Um, the Lakers have not played the Memphis Grizzlies in the in the playoffs, uh, but that's only because yeah, they, they don't really have none. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> shoot. Uh, I mean, um, you know, they they didn't do anything in Vancouver, obviously, and uh, there's been some fleeting moments for them in in Memphis. Uh, I'll, I'll give them fleeting. That. Hey, come on, Vinny, come on, bro, come on. And then man. and then you have obviously the San Antonio Spurs, and when I talk about the San Antonio Spurs, I'm not just talking about Tim Duncan and David Robinson and and you know uh, Ginobili and Tony Parker, and then later on a little bit uh, Kawhi Leonard. I'm talking about George Gervin, Mike Mitchell. Artis Gilmore, Johnny Moore. There were some hellacious confrontations between the Lakers and the San Antonio Spurs uh, back back in back in those days. So they've always been a constant. The Utah Jazz, you know, when they had John Stockton and Carl Malone, even with the Phoenix Suns when they had you know Mike D'Antoni and um, and and Steve Nash and uh, who was that great kid that from Vegas? Who's the 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 uh, the Sean Marion, um, you know, the, the Phoenix Suns uh, back in those days, uh, uh, um, God, I'm a Mari Stottlemyre, you know, so, so it's, I, I'm rooting for the Suns because I love old... how you, how you're struggling for a Mari Stottlemyre and Sean Marion, but artist Gilmore rose off the tongue. Like it was just yesterday. You saw him playing. Well, they, I mean, those guys were so good. Those, those Spurs teams and, and George Gervin, those you're talking about hall of famers right there that were a thorn in the Lakers side. The Lakers always beat them. <laughs> they always be, they always beat all those teams in the playoffs. You know who, who who has given the Lakers the worst of it over the years for some inexplicable reason is the Houston Rockets. Magic's second year coming off the championship. Magic missed more than half the year that that second year cuz he he hurt his knee, but he comes back late in the uh, NBA season. Um they you know, obviously they make the playoffs. It's back then it was a best of 3 to start the, to start the playoffs off and you didn't escape that. Everybody had to do the best of 3. And Moses Malone and Mike Dunleavy, the the guy that ended up being the head coach and um there were a couple of Robert Reed, they had they had some, a pretty good squad right there. They beat the Lakers in that best of three. Then they, you know, Moses Malone, I mean, he's was unbelievable, an unbelievable player. But then a few years later, they beat him. That, that Houston Rockets team beat him in 1981-82. And then later on in like 1987, 86-87, that Robert, the the, uh, the Kim Elijah Wan, uh, Ralph Sampson team uh, beat the uh, beat the Lakers and the and both of those teams went both the Houston's both of those Houston teams went to the NBA Finals. Aside from that, because you got to remember the Lakers were in the finals nine out of Magic's first eleven years. <laughs> That's crazy. The only team to beat them were the Houston Rockets. Those in those in those years, the Lakers slayed every team that the West ever put out in front of them. Um, and so, but, but for that reason, because I go way back with the Suns too, I, I want them to win it all. I'm really happy for Chris Paul. Can't wait to see him get out back, back out on the court. I think Devin Booker is going to rebound from, that's what's scary for the Clippers. Chris Paul is coming back, and I think Devin Booker does not have another game uh, like he had uh, last night. Anyway, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Thank you so much to Cassie Soto. Thank you so much to Jesse Merrick. Uh, Damon Cotton, thanks for everything that you do. Thank you to all the callers and all the listeners, and of course, thanks to Bahadur Tequila. Appreciate y'all. Tomorrow, we'll be back at it. I'll tweet the time. I think it's 3 to 5 uh, that we're on uh, tomorrow because the, uh, the Aviators baseball game, but I'm going to tweet out the time uh, and everything when I get a chance. Uh, we'll catch you tomorrow in the huddle. Vidi Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.